0: Welcome to the Jill on Money podcast. It is Sunday, November 15th, and this is the show where we are trying to provide you with unconventional and also some entertaining insights on your money and your life. And boy, where else does your money and your life collide than with college education? And we decided to rerun an interview that we conducted with Professor Caitlin Zaloom prior to the pandemic. She wrote a book called Indebted, How Families Make Colleges Work at Any Cost. And in this second part of our interview, we're talking about where does education go from here? It's so expensive. And man, this pandemic has exposed a lot of what you really get for your dollar when you send your kids away to school. So I hope you enjoy it. If this actually creates some questions for you, don't hesitate to send us an email. It's askjill at jillonmoney.com. Here is the second part of our interview with Caitlin Zaloom. Are we building essentially what will become a two tiered system where you have, you know, really rich people will continue to send their kids to expensive schools and everyone else will get what in your hope?
1: Well, I think one thing that we need to remember is that in this country, we have had some of the best public colleges and universities in the world. I'm a graduate of UC Berkeley. That's where I got my PhD. And so I've seen up close the incredible power of public universities in this country. There's, there is no engine, and okay, maybe I'm a little biased, but there is really no engine better than the UC system for creating a middle class for the state. Um, And, you know, and we certainly had that in New York with uh, with CUNY and CUNY still is doing amazing work. The public university systems are incredibly important, but they have been the target for cuts. Yeah, they've been bled dry. They've been bled dry. They've been bled and bled and bled so that even schools like UC Berkeley um, rely on high paying out of state students to fund the very California students that they're tasked with educating. And that also goes for um, out-of-country students as well. So
0: when the parents who are listening to this, they're like, I hear this and I feel this conflict. What's some advice that you can offer after talking to these 80 parents and 80 students?
1: Yeah, um, I think that it is a really hard bind to, to be in. So historically, uh, higher education has been a uh, a real bipartisan commitment. We all need to send our kids to college if they can get there. and uh, And so I think that we kind of need to get back to that. On the personal front, there are a couple of ways of approaching this high cost that I think are important. One uh, is about getting merit aid um, if your student qualifies. So that means making sure as students are approaching applying to college that their grades are really good. Yeah, what well, um, if you have like an
0: average student? I got the all-American kid, and he or she good kid, not lighting the world on fire. But I really would like that kid to be educated. Do you find that there are some, did you find some families who could say,
1: this is all we have? So, first of all, I think that that, the advice about shooting for merit aid, I mean, it, of course, only increases the pressure on students who are already feeling an enormous amount of pressure. So, you know, I say that with a certain degree of uh, hesitation. You know, I think that the other aspect is to really think very broadly about what kind of schools can be good for your
0: kid. Right. And like with stop with the judgments. I actually had an NYU professor who, who said to me, like, Well, you know, if you can get into the top school, great, but otherwise do not go to a private school like you're insane you're mm-hmm. throwing your money out the mm-hmm. window mm-hmm. but again i think that brings up that conflict i want to give my kids what i think is the best match the best school The be- but why but again uh, yeah. that's a hard conversation right
1: it, well it's a hard conversation and i also think that that we need to be thinking about the kind of decision ecology in which families exist okay so mm. it's like a landscape of private schools and public schools. Sometimes the differences in payment between these things is exaggerated. So mm. public schools can actually be very expensive. I mean, especially because the the kind of room and board component of public school is actually much greater mm. um, than in proportion than it is at private schools, and it's more or less fixed. The The deals that students can get at public and private not necessarily that different mm-hmm. um so that's that's uh, an important part of the of, of this kind of ecology that that people live in also you know we have been taught that things that cost more are better, better. yeah and so i think that we really need to live up to understanding that that's a message that the sticker price of private colleges is a message that we're sending to people. The education that students will get there is better. And we and we also, I mean, since the 1980s have been saying that in fact, the private, sector gives things that are better than the public one anyway. So, so all of that is part of the, the kind of ecology that parents have to make decisions within. You know, it's interesting. I'm, I'm listening to you
0: and I'm, I'm wondering also how a family navigates this without kind of losing your mind. It seems like this becomes like the, the hyper Mm. focal point of the family and that spending all this time talking about this I just can't imagine what it must feel like for everybody involved is the solution you know tuition comes down or online education is becomes a more prevalent that we get more money flowing to these universities that this is some tipping point that we're entering you said you're more optimistic and you've a very glowy smile and maybe it's because you're too familiar with this because reading it was a little scary yeah. I felt a little first of all, I felt like you Opened my eyes to the conflict that I did not I think I knew on subconscious level, but not really in the front of mind. I did not know that, so thank you for that. I guess that I'm
1: wondering what's the optimism here? Yeah, you know, I think that the optimism comes from the time that I spent with all of these families and the many conversations that I had with them. Um, Parents and students are so committed to each other and so devoted to making things work for young adults and that commitment just comes through so strongly. Mm. These are, you know, for the most part, really lovely, responsible people who gave me hope that if we could support them in doing what they do well and what they are totally um, devoted to doing, that we can do this. Like, this will turn out much better than the situation that we currently have political
0: season, I would be remiss in not asking you about what about these plans to wipe out outstanding student loan debt? Are you a fan? Do you or, or is that just going to pile back up again until we get to the core issue? Yeah, so it? I
1: think that there there are a couple of, of uh, different issues. I, I think that wiping out student debt, at least some of that debt um, would be a move which would relieve current families who are experiencing a lot of stress and also who do not experience stress equally. So so families in the white middle class generally have much greater resources than, say, African-American families who have the the least resources and who have more debt um, and actually a much harder time in the labor market. So wiping out debt would help those families who have borne the cost of discrimination more than it would help uh, white families. And what about those
0: people who are like, but I paid off my debt?
1: Yeah, I, too bad. Yeah, right. Well, I think that we've gotta we've gotta move forward, and and also that if you're lucky enough to have paid off your debt, um, you're probably in pretty good shape. Right. I know um, it's so- very
0: puritanical to think that, but that was like the housing crisis, right? Like, oh, don't give debt relief to people who are underwater. Right. I'm responsible. Right. Give too it to debt banks. Yeah, exactly. That was better. You bring up some interesting alternatives. From overseas some of um, the other systems and you point out that actually having free tuition is really great but there are some systems that make the kids pay for the other stuff, and that would right. be books and room and board, is room that right?
1: Room and board, yes. And and and, those, and how do those systems play out? The systems that uh, seem to work best have some balance of low or no tuition and also a working student debt system because we want students to be able to focus on studying. They've got to have time to learn. We don't want them working all the time. And so I think that it's really important to note that – even free tuition doesn't mean no debt necessarily, mm-hmm. because you take on debt for good reasons when you're in college, like to open up time to, to study and mm-hmm. to cover to cover room and board, and you know the occasional meal out, or you know um, food for your four-legged uh, kids that you <laughs> might bring with you to school. So we do need a functional debt system, as well as as low or no. Tuition. For instance, Australia has a a system of student loans that is not nearly as punishing as what we have today. We need a system for lending which doesn't make young adults vulnerable in their most vulnerable years. So it actually just increases this fragility for young adults in the first 10 years of their lives outside of their parents homes. And you call it the, um, the uh, student loan. What did you call it? The
0: college finance complex?
1: Yeah, the, the student finance the, complex. The student
0: finance complex. I love that phrase. What is the best lending situation or what is the best structure that you could imagine if we started fresh?
1: College might be $50,000 for you and it might be $20,000 for you and you don't know and like and imagine walking into a car dealership where they were like this Ford might be 50 or $20,000 Good he luck. Knows. Good luck. Yeah. I mean, that would not that just makes no sense to begin with. So that's kind of the baseline strangeness of it all. Mm-hmm. As far as I'm concerned, I think that the student lending system has to be um, it, it needs to be centralized. It needs to be functioning essentially in the same way that we have a Payroll tax. So, right now we have all of these student loan servicers who are sort of standing between the students or graduates, hopefully they've actually gotten their degree, but not necessarily, and the federal government. Those student loan servicers um, throw up all kinds of barriers to repayment. We've seen this over and over and over again with the Public Service Loan Forgiveness Program. Uh, For instance, with teachers who are trying to get their loans forgiven based on the fact that they go in every day and teach our fifth graders and our seventh graders and our second graders, which is an absolutely necessary public service. But they can't get the loan forgiveness that they are due because of the loan servicers. Well, should there be
0: loan servicers? In other words, the government had said we don't want to be in that business, right? Right. And so it's very convoluted. I mean, there's a lot of different things that make me nuts about the system. I mean, there's all different rules and there's all different ways of reporting it. And there's all different ways of the aid letters coming from these.
1: There's no consistency. No. No wonder people are pulling their hair out of their head. Exactly. This is just another aspect of the incredible uncertainty that's people have to face when it comes to the student finance complex so we really 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 need to take the uncertainty out of it and from my perspective um, we could with the loan system pretty much just take the idea out of the Australian playbook yeah like well, use it it works yeah. let's move on yeah okay that's
0: it for the show don't forget Anytime you have a question, you can shoot us an email, askjill at jillonmoney.com, or you can go onto the website, jillonmoney.com. We've got a contact button there. If you wouldn't mind, spread the word about this podcast. We endeavor to really expand our audience every single day. I try to remember to do this, but I always forget. Our music is composed by Joel Goodman. Mark Talercio. he is our executive producer. Uh, Our research assistant is Theo Talercio. We're distributed by Cadence 13. Don't forget to wash your hands, to wear your masks, to maintain that physical distancing. Do something nice for somebody today. We'll talk to you tomorrow.